Hey, welcome everyone to the Citywide podcast for Tuesday called Next Steps, the podcast. Tuesday is where we often talk about the sermon we had last Sunday and elaborate a bit more. Um, as we start, we'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. We also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So today, as we talk about our sermon stuff, we've had technical difficulty, which I think is not a blessing because it would have been nice to see David. Um, so we've also we've got Nick Mail um, up the front, up the top. So in the screen, Pastor Matt, who get, delivered the sermon last week. But we've also got Dave Perkins, and I want you to picture someone who looks like a mix between Popeye and Santa Claus. No, I'm only joking. But uh, you, can, you can picture whatever you like for Dave Perkins because you're not going to see him today. We couldn't get his camera to work. So yeah. But David, you will hear I, his voice. Well, you'll hear his voice. David, I've heard you're the most good-looking post-60s person in Tasmania. Is that correct? I think it is. Okay, so everyone can imagine that in their minds. And uh, so, David, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you with us as well. Um, now, David, you studied theology over in the States, I think. Is that true? Yes, that's true. I did a, uh, a two-year uh, Master of Arts in Bible Studies at a, uh, a seminary in uh, the South in Tennessee. So yeah. a very strong um, Bible, um, pretty fundamental Bible-based um, institute. Mm. Uh, teaching mm. was good. Some of it you have to get used to. Yeah, nice. That's cool. Um, and we, we've deliberately asked you along today because this passage is often one that Bible scholars really go to town on. So we thought we'd better get someone who's actually been through a degree as well. Um, and Matt, you've been through theological training seminary as well? Yeah, I've got a, a master's in theological studies uh, in addition to other bits and pieces I've done around the place. And that's through Taylor University over in Taylor Seminary. Yeah, Taylor Seminary, which is now Kairos University. Um, Over in, in Canada. Yes. Mm. Yeah, good. Nick, you and I will have to give our... No, we don't have to give our qualifications, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so, Better not sign. in this setting. <laughs> I've got a Bachelor of Applied Science, which holds me in great stead for talking about end times. So <laughs> at least get the time bit. So I'm really good with physics and numbers. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it's going to come in handy today. Now, we've been looking at a series on, on Jesus' teaching through Matthew, um, and we're up to Matthew chapter 24. In a minute, Nick, I'll get you to read a, a, this passage out to us. Um, but these teachings of Jesus, well, you'll hear today, this is a passage which you read it, and I think because it's often a bit difficult for us to grasp, we'll talk about culture and history and literature, um, lit Literature, literacy, there we go, there it is, um, in a minute. But it, this is one of those passages that people read and skim over a bit because they're like, I don't know what that says. So we, we're going to have a read and then we're going to work out what it says, hopefully together. So thanks, Nick. Take it away. Um, Matthew 24, verse 15 through to, I can't remember what you said. 35. 35. <laughs> so starting from verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would su survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning 
that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twig gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Great. Thanks, Nick. Well, that's quite a passage to teach from, Matt. <laughs> There's a couple of little random phrases that come up in there. The the abomination of just that causes desolation. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. This random statement in the middle of nowhere that says wherever the carcass is, that's where the vultures will gather around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a little daunting. I've been seeing this week coming all year, knowing that we're working through Matthew and and uh, and it's been preparing myself for Matthew 24. Mm. Uh, I said to our teaching team that I probably needed to do it just because it was going to be complicated, and, and it is. Uh, like mm. uh, Lots of people have had lots of ideas about this chapter of the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and as I said on Sunday, uh, different people's views or, or about it has have actually coloured how they translated the Bible, and, and so so people are reading uh, weird translations that don't actually represent what the text says mm-hmm. that have been coloured by people's um, interpretations as they translate it. So it really, uh, as one professor said, who I was talking quoting from on Sunday, like there are. Not only do we have a, a challenge with it, where you know we're two thousand years since Jesus spoke it, trying to understand mm-hmm. the culture and that kind of thing, but we've had uh, two thousand years worth of all sorts of different traditions and interpretations that have coloured our ability to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, I felt the need on Sunday to spend the first part of the sermon just talking about mm-hmm. what it means to understand the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's where. I actually started before we got into abominations and then, you know, vultures circling around cadavers mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. <laughs> nice. Okay, so one, one of the things you talked about is the cultural, historical and literature base of understanding, of interpreting mm. scriptures. Yeah. Did you want to elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, uh, well, there are these words that get thrown around in seminaries. Uh, David would have encountered it if he's one as well. But also, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as you start looking at books that talk about interpreting the Bible, you come across the word exegesis. It's not a word that people use commonly, um, but, it, but it just means drawing meaning out of, working out what it actually says. I didn't say on Sunday, but there is another word, eisegesis, which is where you put meaning into, where you, it's, it's kind of the opposite of exegesis. It's where you, you think you know what it says, so you read that into it rather than trying to work out what it actually says. And uh, I said that there are three, three things to keep in mind with exegesis. One is the historical context. One is the, the context in the, 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 literary, the literary context, the, the context of the the words in the the overall, uh, in, in in terms of, it's amazing how easy it is to take a verse out of context, but all verses come in the context of other verses and other chapters and 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 the whole Bible. So that's the literature, the literary context. And then there is the content. There's what actually the words mean in the Greek or the Hebrew, and what they meant to the people back there. What are the, what are the words actually mean? So mm. so content uh, and. Literary context and historical context, and then from 
there you need to work out, okay, what does all that mean for us, which is the work of herm hermeneutics? How do I work out what um, these verses mean for us? And so when I, as I come personally to uh, teach, well, every Sunday really, but particularly on a Sunday like last Sunday, I do a fair bit of work uh, in reading broadly, trying to understand what the original languages were, understanding what the historical context is, and uh, trying to uh, help people understand what Jesus was, in this case, saying to the Jewish people at the time so that we can then work out what it means for us. Yeah. Great. David, have you got anything you want to add in your exegesis hermeneutic sort of history? <laughs> well, certainly in the exegesis, I have come from a strong tradition uh, that expressed it, I think, this way. If the meaning is plain, then that's the plain meaning. Mm -hmm. Now, when the meaning's not so plain, then it's going to have to be worked within the historical context and in the style of literature that is being used. So if it's poetic, there is uh, we all have license uh, to have some exaggeration or some colour. You know, that's what we expect out of poetry. Uh, so why wouldn't we expect that in poetic writings of the Hebrews, um, for example? Uh, mm. And there is that particular language style, which is the uh, end times language, the uh, the uh, uh, writings that are going to be talking about future events are going to have a, a apocryphal writing. They're going to have a particular style as well. And I think mm. our problem is we... We don't come across that sort of thing in our day in our day daily life, reading the newspaper and watching telly. So we've we've lost that experience as to how uh, that would be. It's not part of our culture uh, mm -hmm. to know how mm -hmm. to uh, to read uh, apocryphal writing. Uh, well, probably, and, uh, probably more apocalyptic rather than apocryphal. Yes. So, okay. Yes. Yeah. But, so we're just not familiar with that in our yeah. uh, in in our ordinary uh, uh, teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So there's one really clear example of that in this passage, um, which I'm just trying to find it, um, where it talks about the oh here it is immediately after the distress of the, those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Um, this isn't talking about physical changes in our universe is it uh, no well, that, it's poetry again so uh you know it has a it has a a style that's associated with poetry and particularly mm. the traditions of hebrew poetry where you keep coming back in circles mm. hebrew poetry will make a statement and then it will reinforce it in the next part yeah. of the the line then it'll make another statement it, it might reinforce it or it might contradict it or it might uh, yeah. adva uh, advance it um, mm. So you know that's a particular, uh, particularly the Old Testament Hebraic poetry, um, mm. you know, has a very um, quite a strong has a structure, uh, which makes it um, you know very pleasing to to read. Yeah. And it's where having the literary context, so uh, we actually can can begin to understand it as we look at the Old Testament and also look at how people in the New Testament use that kind of language. So, you uh, know, Isaiah 13, Isaiah writes, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And in that context, he's actually talking about the fall of Babylon. Mm. Um, mm. So he's talking about the fall of a political kingdom and using almost the same language that Jesus was using. Yeah. And, and so... So people have often read Jesus' words and are trying to work out, okay, so, you know, is that, is that like a nuclear winter he's talking about? Are we mm -hmm. going to lose the sunshine? Mm -hmm. uh, how's all, all that going to work? But it, it is very clearly Jewish apocalyptic literature. And mm -hmm. similarly, Peter uses the same language to describe uh, the, the huge shift that happens with the outpouring of Pentecost. And he says, this is that which was speak, spoken of by the prophets. 
And he goes on and says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This is Acts 2. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And of course, that's the that's what's happened. And in both these things, this literature is trying to say, this is so such a big deal. It's like the whole world is being turned on its head. That the and from Jesus' perspective, the what he's saying is the the fall of the temple. Like it's it's impossible to overstate how significant the temple was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the danger is we'll just go oh yeah well that's Old Testament. No, this is a, a a complete. This is a new covenant between God and man. This is a and so this is the kind of apocalyptic language they use about blood and fire and moons and stars and things mm-hmm. to describe just how big a deal it is. It, and so Jesus kind of quotes Isaiah. Peter kind of Peter is quoting Joel, and in in that language and. Peter is saying this is what's happening now and there's no indication that there was actually massive loss of light or that, you know, that they, um, they, there were billows of fire and all that sort of stuff happening at Pentecost in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was this poetic language, as David is saying, to say you, you somehow need to understand the gravity of what Jesus is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is one of, just one one way in which it's really easy to, to misread the Bible as we go back with a sort of a scientific worldview and trying to work out, okay, so blood and fire and billows of smoke, where's the blood going to come from? And, you know, is the smoke mm-hmm. like, that? Is that global warming? Uh, it's a volcano. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, oh, and people have had all kinds of theories about what all these things are going to be, and mm-hmm. and it's it's trying to put a scientific mindset on uh, this poetic apocalyptic yes. language, yes. which yes. is helpful. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we we actually do use that aspects of that language when we say some events earth shattering, yeah, you know, some political change or uh, you know the invasion of. Ukraine is earth shattering. Well, we're not expecting the earth to shudder under our feet. We're just making an expression of, by jingies, this is big time. Yes. Pay attention. This is what's being talked about here. This is big time. This is important uh, for you, for that generation. Mm. And, um, you know, pay attention. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Pay attention. Yeah. Even in your explanation, Matt, you used a current term, which is they turn the world upside down. Yeah, it it doesn't turn upside down. And you you mentioned the gravity, so they understand the gravity. We're not talking about gravity. It's the (laughs) these are are things to explain difficult concepts. Now, these guys in this time over the last five hundred years, leading up to this when this was written, they've been through like Assyrian, Babylonian, then Greek, then Roman, then they've been through all these world power changes through that time. And, uh, and the world is completely different often in the last yeah. 500 years. So yeah. they use this big language to explain that. And I think often a, a change of world power is when they use this language. Yeah. And the shattering yeah. of their view of what was to happen mm. in terms of the kingdom uh, was uh, mm. shaking them, you know, yeah. uh, emotionally yeah. and intellectually shaking them violently. Because mm. it wasn't going to be the prosperity and the and the power and the glory then and there, yeah. Jesus is saying, "Oh no, no, no! That's that's yet to come. Yeah. It's mm. not. It's not for you uh, to uh, you know. It's not for you to see those final events." Mm. Mm. Uh, Nick, you and I were talking earlier in in our history of listening to sermons. Um, this passage is often used as end times stuff. Um, are there any phrases in there that, that you have heard in preaching of end times? I think the coming on the clouds and, you know, the son of man appearing, that that creates imagery for people who don't understand the poetic nature of these scriptures. And immediately that's where your your mind goes. There's there's stories and fictional works that talk about end times and um, for people who aren't, haven't had theological training and haven't delved into the fact that 
a lot of this is imagery and metaphorical, you, you've gone from reading Matthew and the Gospels and it's all very practical and this is what happens. It's the story of what Jesus was doing. And then all of a sudden we're delving into this crazy metaphorical stuff. So it's, it's really easy to slip into just taking it literally. And so immediately that's where your mind would go. It's like, well, this is, we've jumped to prophecy now and this is going to happen instead of understanding the, the context of where it's coming from and the prophecies and um, the scriptures that it's being drawn from in the Old Testament. Yeah. Any any response to that, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I and and I I I grew up in a church. So talking to and uh, and Leanne, um, my wife, particularly grew up in a church where there was very detailed charts of how it was all meant to unfold, and mm. and people had very clear ideas on you know what had to happen where and. And, and there's been different eras in the church, but in the 70s, there was a book called The, the Late Great Planet Earth uh, that charted, you know, this is how the world's going to end and had very clear pictures about all this stuff. And, and a lot of these verses would be taken uh, mm. as how it's going to happen. And, and again, um, I, I think a key to reading this teaching in um, in Matthew is given him by Jesus himself, uh, where he says, um, he, he points us to, to the book of Daniel right up front. He talks about the, 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 um, the yeah, the, the, the abomination, the cause of desolation. And, and, and he actually uh, says, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Um, yeah. Now, I, I realised for me, for the, for the first 20 years of my reading the Bible, I just assumed he was talking to me because eh, I was reading the Bible and I was the reader. Um, yeah. And only just, you know, dawned on me as I began to study this stuff. Well, when he was talking, they weren't reading. He was, he was yeah. talking, they were listening. And, and what he was saying is, let the reader of Daniel understand. Uh, and the... the uh, and there's a, there's a whole his, there's a literary context, and in particular, he he will use the the, the passage from Daniel uh, about he's he's really quoting uh, about the Son of Man coming on clouds um, uh, in in Matthew twenty four thirty. He's actually quoting Daniel seven, <coughs> and and while. Many of us have a picture of what the end time is going to look like, and Jesus is going to turn up in clouds and things like that. And, and this is a picture of Jesus at the end times, when when Jesus Himself, who quotes Daniel seven, uh, in Daniel seven, the the Son of Man coming on the clouds is actually coming to God the Father at mm. the at the at the moment of His victory over death. It is the ascension which is at the start of the book of Acts, rather than the second coming, is what Daniel is referring to. So and that uh, sounds that sounds to a ex or a brother, guy who's going brother church, that sounds like crazy what you're saying there. So I think we need to refer to Daniel seven for a minute. <laughs> okay. Because I'm pretty sure I learned from church that there was going to be a big trumpet and Jesus was going to come back riding on a cloud and then the whole world, I, I never could work out how the whole world would hear this trumpet all, all at once, but somehow that would happen and then we'd be raptured. So that, that's, yeah. that's my picture. Um, yeah. So let's, let's jump back to Daniel 7 yeah, yeah. For, for a look at, at why, because Jesus is saying, go and read Daniel and make sure you understand it. So let's go back to Daniel. Matt, what verses what should we read? Uh, for, for this particular thing, of course, for the abomination, the cause of desolation, there's a few other verses. But for this thing about clouds, where Jesus is quoting it, it's Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Okay. So let's make sure you're not telling porkies. Um, cool. In here, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Mm. So I, I, I don't think I'm overstating it to say that's fairly straightforward in terms of what it's actually saying there. So he's not coming back to earth on a cloud, which is, that's how I was brought up to think. Yeah, that- he, he is returning to heaven. I love the picture in Revelation of the the seals that cannot be broken and then this the son of man, the lamb that was slain comes in. Yeah. Uh, it's This is the same image for me of the just imagine the emotion in heaven, in glory, whatever that is, when Jesus conquers death and comes back yeah. riding on the cloud sort of thing. So yeah. that, that's what this is talking about, not his return, you know, later on. Yeah, and, and again... So I, I'm a, a little nervous. A number of people are indicating they'd love us to study Revelation in depth. I think <laughs> we have to set aside a couple of years, but you know. But it is it is it is um it is good to actually, if Jesus is referring to a text, to to actually read the text and understand <laughs> what 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 this moment must have meant, and and understand how big a deal. When Jesus has been talking about his kingdom his whole life. And for him, this is the culmination. This is the this is why the he's using this language about you know blood and moon and stars and that 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 the powers of death have been defeated, mm-hmm. and he has he's return, returning to God the Father in heaven victorious, and God the Father is uh, giving him authority and glory and sovereign power. And and his kingdom now covers the whole world. Like this is this incredible moment of the of what it has meant for him to get to the other side of the cross, be resurrected, and now be with God the Father uh, in power, and and mm-hmm. that he, his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so that's why it's this incredible weight. And and, and one of the dangers is I think. Um, we often see the end times as a question about our king- kingdoms. Like, how do, how do I make sure I'm going to be okay when things get, you know, when when I die or when Jesus comes back and 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 the fear is, you know, am I going to get left behind? How does it? And really, a lot, a lot of it is self motivated. When mm. when what Jesus is saying is, no, this is this is not about you. This is about my kingdom and the victory I've won and uh, th- and that's why for us it's why the the destruction of the temple is such a huge thing because mm-hmm. it represents the end of one way of relating to God and the beginning of another mm-hmm. and so I, so that's yeah I mm-hmm. it, it's important to get onto this now just to say parenthetically in other places there is the discussion of a of a of a trumpet when Jesus comes, and uh, and at some point we are going to have to I can see um, look at some of those verses at some point and and, <laughs> and and look at what the end times are are, are looking like. We're going to begin that discussion next mm. week. Um, but yeah. yeah, Matt. In a minute, you you said that this sermon was primarily it was about helping people study the Bible a bit more. So in a sec, I'll get you to illustrate what tools you would use, and yeah. I'd like to pick the words, the abomination that causes desolation, and show us how you would actually track through what that's about. But before we get to that, David, did you want to respond to anything that Matt said there? Or, Well, I, I think the thing that I took from uh, Sunday was the way, Matt, that you showed us that what we're talking about is to those people that could hear Matthew's or the Lord's words. Mm-hmm. being the generation, and we usually think of a generation as maybe 30 years, but mm. it's a bit broader than that. Mm. Um, but it only needs to be about 40 years mm. um, for the people to actually see the, the destruction. There will be people who will see the destruction of the temple who had seen Jesus crucified, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. age-wise. Mm. Um, but it, the, the bit that I like, the way in which you sort of closed off uh, this passage, I tell you the truth, it says in verse 34, uh, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And mm. we've just seen what these things are. 
Yeah. So you know that's the plain the plain truth. And then I I like perhaps it's a little bit more poetic. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will yeah. never pass away. Is just a way in which it's sort of a poetic way in, uh, uh, of saying um, what I'm telling you is fair income. Mm. You know, this yeah. is, you know, it's fair income. It's, it's, uh, you know, all these other things we talk about and see and will, will disappear. Uh, but what I've said, um, mm. it's, it's, it's fair income. It's fair for good. Yeah, great. And I think that verse 34 is a bit of a key. Uh, the fact that Jesus himself was saying this generation will not pass away. So it's an awkward thing if you think it's all part of the end times because that generation passed away 2,000 years ago. Years ago. Mm. Yeah, so so what, what are you doing with that? Um, yeah. Well, if you're, if you're a fan of the Schofield Reference Bible, what you do is change the word generation to race. Mm. Uh, and, and so... There's some dodgy things that happen in Bible translation, and and uh, the Schofield Reference Bible uh, was very influential. Yes, um, and and so it actually changed the word generation to race, which was, in my view, a, a bit disingenuous uh, because it's fairly clearly not what Jesus is saying there. Most I don't know any Bible scholar that says that he's talking about race at that point. Um, mm. It's a whole other question so but it, but it does this thing of literary context so you don't get you you read all this stuff about abominations that cause desolations and carcasses and then and then you get these words there you think oh how does that work hmm. so so that's where you need to then understand that's a literary context and you also need to understand the historical context hmm. of what jesus is saying hmm. do you want to show us your tools then <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about the Bible reading tools. At that yeah, point. yeah. Not I think olive, tr tools, olive trees. Yeah. Olive trees yeah, yeah. is one of your favourite, isn't it? This is, um, this is the the tool I most often use. It's uh, largely because it's the cheapest one that I could find at the time, and uh, and it's not possible to get good commentaries for free. Um, uh, and so there you go. That's one of the tools. I commentaries. The reason I use commentaries is uh, it's not possible to keep in your head, even if you're a first-century historian. It's not possible to keep all the detail in your head. And so commentaries are where they go through line by line and mm. explain the, what the original Greek is, what the context is, uh, and and give you a bit of background. So this is the. The layout for those, this is not particularly useful for people who are listening to us right now, but for those who are watching, you'll see this is my screen that I, every um, every Wednesday when I'm at Lena Valley, I pull this up uh, and I can click on any word and you'll see there over the Greek word comes up. And so here we go, verse 15, the abomination uh, that causes desolation, uh, Eremosis is the word for, for desolation there. So, so, so in terms of content, that's where I start with, okay, what, what do these words actually mean? You can look at different, it's always good to look at different Greek or, or just different translations. But then you see uh, over the last 10, 15 years, I've gradually collected through this olive tree thing, uh, largely because they often have good sales where you can buy commentaries uh, at like a 25% of the normal price or whatever, um, but but a full this is to say like a full set of commentaries is often a thousand dollars, so that's why it's not it's not cheap. It's so, so for me, uh, and this is what I, I get nervous. People often then re resort to the free ones like Matthew Henry's commentary, which is written very in, old. I think it's sixteen hundreds. Yeah, um, it's very old. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's, a, it's it's a little dangerous, but for me. Um, I, I lean on the NIV application commentary. I've got uh, the NT Wright uh, commentary, the Zondervan exegetical commentary. Uh, I, a little less use the preaching the word commentary. The word biblical commentaries are really helpful. Uh, the New American commentary and the expositors commentary. So these are all helpful. And so I'll then click on, okay, uh, so I'm verse 15. I click on, for instance, Pillar New Testament commentary and... Uh, we'll come up to, I think I clicked on the wrong verse there. So verse 15, uh, and it'll tell me, 
here we go. The abomination of desolation is an expression that reoccurs in Daniel with some variation in wording. Actually, he, I only said three times. He, it's got 8, 13, 9, 27, 11, 31 and 12, 11. So, so there it tells me, okay, in Daniel, that's where it is. And it says where most scholars agree. And I always look for, that's what I'm looking for when I'm, there's like you, one of the things with commentaries, a good commentary will tell you all the different opinions. Hmm. Uh, and I'm looking for things where generally scholars agree or I've got to, when they don't agree, I've got to work out how do I make sense of that and not just push my point of view. Uh, but where most scholars agree that there is a reference to the desecration perpetrated by Antiochus Epiphanes when he built an altar to Zeus in the temple and offered swine and other clean animals on it as sacrifices. Uh, mm-hmm. And it may refer here to the Romans with their standards. They certainly brought desolation to the land. So you, you see Jesus is saying um, in the book of Maccabees, and there's a quote there from Maccabees, I don't, uh, that's um, not going to come up because I don't have the, the Apocrypha in those documents in my system. Um, there is the, the, the Jews themselves... Uh, referred to this Antiochus Epiphanes as the the abomination that causes desolation. Hmm. That's what they they said that event was. And it, and we've talked a bit about the significance of the temple. Hard to imagine for Jewish people to see a a, 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 a statue to a Greek god built in the middle of the temple, and to see pigs slaughtered on the altar, yeah. Yeah. like terrible. It, it, It'd be absolutely horrific. Yeah. So most of them saw that Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled at that point. And, and then you start to see, uh, this is, Jesus here is saying, let the reader understand. He's saying something similar to that is coming. It's going to happen. Yeah. Mm. And he, so, he's, so what it means is he's speaking about the temple without directly speaking about the temple. We wouldn't get that. Uh, just reading the abomination that caused desolation, we'd go, uh, what? We, we'd be starting to imagine, you know, some big antichrist monster kind of thing on the temple, and we're thinking, mm. you know, there's going to, and, and all kinds of story. But, but Jesus is saying, no, there is going to be uh, uh, something horrible that happens in the temple. And a little later on, uh, he'll, he'll talk about vultures. Uh, this is. I'll, I'll just show you. So let's get to the the vultures thing. It's, again, different ver- different people see this differently. Uh, but here, we, like verse twenty eight. So I'll pull that up, uh, and I'll see. If, uh, so this is wherever wherever there's a carcass, the vultures will gather. And see if I click on that, the, the word for for vultures is aetos, which is most often. In five times in the Bible, uh, translated as, as an eagle or a noble bird. And it means a noble or powerful bird, or it can mean a vulture, a carrion bird, and, and vultures. Three. So, so you can then work out. And so different people have uh, have thought, okay, so, so I'll read then, okay, this is what the pillar says about that. And then I'll go and say, okay, what is the... Zondervan exegetical commentary say about that, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'll try to because again immediately it's not it's not immediately clear, but a couple of the commentaries said that there's this there's this possibility that what Jesus is doing is a double a double metaphor, this picture that like the the, the carcass here is the carcass of the temple, and the the vultures. There's this picture of the, the the soldiers again encircle the temple, but there's just also this picture that uh, the, the 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 symbol for Rome is an eagle, hmm. and so so he is talking about Rome coming and desecrating the temple is is certainly one way of reading it and kind of makes sense, particularly since he said. Look, let the reader understand, which is a, a a way of saying I can't say everything plainly. I'm going mm. to say things in a code, kind of, uh, and and in order to understand what I'm talking about, you're going to need to read Daniel. Mm. Uh, is kind of what he's saying. So, 
So that's that, that's the kind of work I do uh, when I'm looking. I just for those who and and we, we want to. We're talking about whether we can make this software available here at, in the church for people who want to come and do Bible study because it is. Um, when you start looking at the price of commentaries, it is it is a bit overwhelming. Um, even if they are on special, you're still going to pay a couple hundred bucks for, uh, mm. you know, a commentary. I, I wouldn't mind pointing people though to a um, a new, like a, a free resource, um, and, and that is uh, the Net Bible. Now, I, I didn't mention this on Sunday. I'd like to mention it. I, I've heard from our Nepalese brothers and sisters that there there is a a um, a, a a version of the Nepalese Bible that's really unhelpful. There's a version that is helpful. But it, what the version you use really matters. Um, and and I just want to point people. This is another resource. Can you see that? And, and again, this is not helpful for people who are um, watching online. This is the the Net Bible. And you can see when I click on a word there uh, or what I have here, uh, I can just click on, and the Greek comes up, and then I highlight that, and it means that anyone for free can get a bit of a picture, and you see down the bottom of the screen is what this word means. So I'm looking mm -hmm. at the moment the genealogy of Jesus, but we can go to Matthew 24. This is free Bible software that anybody can use. Um, and I, I think what, what I was wanting to do with this sermon is point people to, we, we actually have to do the work. We, we've got to, uh, and what I, I, I love about, just in passing, I'm not going to go much mm. more into this, the NET Bible is often used by Bible translators. Not The NET stands for New English Translation, but it's really, it's not so much the Bible translation itself, which is fairly word for word, it's fairly accurate, but it's these net notes, and you'll see there the translation notes, and it actually tells you um, the tr the translation choices that are being made. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll see TN stands here. Kai has been translated as now to indicate the translation is the transition to a new topic. Then they have SN the study notes it says the Jewish temple is widely admired around the world, and it's got references. Uh, and it tells you a bit about how significant the Jewish temple was. And so there, so in something like this, as we come to um, uh, the abomination that causes desolation, uh, it, it, uh, it, you, you can start to get a, a glimpse of, so if it's down in, where are we, verse 15? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's see yeah. uh, so tw it's note number 23 there. And, it, and it'll tell you the reference to the abomination of desolation is an allusion to Daniel 9.27, though some have seen the fulfilment of Daniel's prophecy in the actions of Antiochus. The words of Jesus indicate the Antiochus was not the final fulfilment, but there was, from Jesus' perspective, still another fulfilment yet to come. Some argue this was realised in AD 70, while others claim it was refers specifically to the Antichrist and will not be fully realised until the period of the Great Tribulation at the end of the age. You see, you start to get the study notes, you get the background, and there's a lot in that. But I, I don't want to, I can, I can stop that there. But you see, I, I really want to encourage people to do the work because the Bible's fantastic. Like it brings life and hope, and, but a superficial reading can often do damage. And, and there's been all kinds of damage done. Uh, and yeah, anyway, so I'll stop rabbiting on at that point. There's, there's some of the tools I use and, and the kind of work I try and do before I, I, I do a sermon. At, at church on Sunday, we asked the audience the question. Um, we use a, it's an anonymous response, so they can write whatever they like to come back in. The question was, what are the things from the Bible you find hardest to understand? And here are some of the responses for those who can see it, but I'll, I'll read a few. There's um, revelation and end times, historical context, what happens after death, um, hidden meanings, the Old Testament, how do you fit that all in? Um, Methuselah, that's a nice one. He was the oldest guy in the Bible. Did he really live to 937 or something? I can't remember. Um, yeah, and so there are a bunch of issues that as we read the Bible, we can find it difficult to understand. I think there's one in here. My, my kids got me to write down the dinosaurs. Where do they fit in? Um, <laughs> 
and and what which is about creation and you know the what the bible says about how the earth came to into being so these are things that we find difficult um but the tools that matt's using you can actually go and look at a bunch of verses do some of your own study dig a bit deeper see what a lot of the um lead like theologians are saying about these these topics do do your own study don't just um yeah wait wait to be taught but actually dig in and have a look yourself and I must point out too that the, the latest version of the NIV Study Bible is called the NIV uh, Biblical Theology Study Bible, and it's actually very good. Uh, mm. So that's a great place to start. To have a good Bible translation with good study notes mm. is a great place. And I, I do, for me, having a paper Bible is still pretty important. Uh, mm. So I, I, I would encourage people to do the work, and I, you know, and and also just to say. It's really helpful for me to see those people's questions. I can see that Revelation and the end times is pretty central to people's questions of the Bible. And and uh, we'll keep talking as we look at, we'll, we'll be talking with our small group leaders on the weekend and trying to work out what are the teaching plans for the future. Um, but I, I can see that for us as a church, it may be useful, a bit scary, but but useful to, to do some more teaching in this direction. <coughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we, we need to finish up in a minute. Um, David, Nick, I was wondering if you've got any final things you'd like to say or what would you like people to take away from this this passage? <laughs> I'll leave it for Nick to start off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> I think for me, growing up and hearing from a lot of preachers that, you know, you, you can't just take it at face value and that there's a historical context in behind behind each verse and you need to take each verse in the whole um, of the chapter and then the book and then the Bible itself. Uh, it, it helped me to realise that I needed to be looking for these things, but it also was very confusing because I didn't understand the context and I didn't understand the historical um, influence on it. So this sermon has brought that home for me and I think it's just really helpful, Matt, to know where to look for those resources so that you can mm. search. I think my entire repertoire of stuff that I can use to go back on at the moment is just my study notes in my, my study Bible that I have and I know friends who don't even have a study Bible so they mm. don't have anything. So I think that it's really helpful just to know where we can find those resources and to know that there are some free ones that, you can get those study Bibles with footnotes that explain the context for you and you can just start to delve into it a little bit more. If it doesn't make sense, then then work out why and actually yeah. look at the meaning behind it because uh, you can't read the Bible at its face value. There's so much behind each word that's written and I think mm. it's helpful for us to be reminded of that. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I think with me, uh, I'm certainly familiar with using tools like Strong's concordance and things like that, and it's a delight to to know and see that uh, he can click and point your way through those hmm. documents. But they were they were very powerful in their era uh, hmm. and made Bible study those sorts of paper resources uh, made Bible study much more meaningful. Hmm. Uh, but I think your comment about the Schofield Bible, I've got a copy of the Ryrie Study Bible, and they're hmm. very very. Uh, dispensational and rapture and so this passage is a is a, a great one uh, for them uh, but as I look at it now I, I'm struggling to see quite what they're uh, how they draw out some of those meanings mm. uh, and I think there are eras aren't there where particular things are particular topics are popular mm. yeah um, particular views are popular and they sort of come and go um, but I think one of the things we all do know is that the Lord will come again. Yes. And, uh, and uh, it's imminent. We That's what he says. Uh, we don't know when that's going to be. Uh, yep. And that we need to be prepared. Mm. And uh, we have the Holy Spirit to work within our hearts to uh, have us live out our lives uh, as, as we would want them to be when he comes. Mm. Because yep. it might be in our generation. Yeah. But I'm not too sure they were expecting that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the thing I'd like to say as well is that 
um, these passages, there's a lot in them. And, and I'm very cautious of people saying, oh, I know exactly what that means. Because I think it's like we can have a good guess of, oh, it's probably this, it might be this, this is what I think. Hmm. Uh, I think if someone says, comes so definitely with some of these difficult passages, um, yeah, well, sometimes we have to also handle the ambiguity. I trust hmm. God, yeah. I give my life to him. Um, yes. if, yeah. if, I, if the Holy Spirit thought it was really important for me to know this, he'd tell me. And, and then to live in the confidence of Jesus has got this and, and he's won. But, yeah. And, and I think that's the ultimate tool for interpreting the Bible is Jesus. Mm. Uh, the Bible says that he's the, the revelation of who God is for us. Mm. He's the embodiment of God and his character as he expresses it and, and his words uh, should help us interpret the rest of the Bible. So if if we are coming, and, and that's, I think, what Paul's reaching for, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I think if we get to a point where we're arguing ideas rather than loving people, then it tells us we yes. may be off track a little bit. Yeah, we missed uh, the mark. And, yeah, and, that's a good one. And so for me, always, I think that one of the questions for me as I went to Bible study, I was always fascinated by the road to Emmaus and how Jesus explained to them all that the Bible said regarding him. He also told his disciples in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount that he had come to fulfill the whole Old Testament. And, and, I, and mm-hmm. I, I think that a great task for us is to understand the whole story of the Bible and also understand, you know, hold our own interpretations loosely and make sure that Jesus is the lens that we're interpreting the Bible from. It's from him everything else makes sense. But it's amazing for me, often people who are most interested in the end times uh, are often, sometimes they just seem a little bit brittle in how they relate to other people or this might be an overstatement, but, but people who care to, they care a bit too much and so the, the, often there isn't the same fruit of the spirit stuff, yeah. there, the loving your neighbour, you know, caring about issues of justice and mercy and compassion. I think there's a danger in getting lost in the, in the end times and forgetting that Jesus has called us to be here and now. Great. Thanks, Matt. Should we let him have the last word today? Yes. Okay, yeah, we'll let him, we'll let him this time doesn't happen very often but thanks for joining us in this podcast i hope i hope it's interesting for you and we'd love to talk to you more again again if you want to carry on the conversation chuck it in the comments um wherever you're hearing this podcast or, or youtube we'd love to have this conversation going on um there's a lot of content on youtube about end time so you <laughs> could go and start please i'd don't. start with some of this please don't <laughs> start with some of these study tools first so yeah great Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for joining us, David, Nick. Nice to have you. Mm.